1 Timothy 5, verses 3-16. through 16. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought children, has shown hospitality and has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I will have younger widows marry, uh, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are, who are widows, let her care for them. Let, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So last week, uh, we uh, looked at what it means to have a gospel culture. And one of the things that we discovered was that God really has in mind for us to live uh, not as strangers, but as the family of God. And family has a certain aura about it, doesn't it? It feels like family are things that we often say. And we, we said that the culture that really God wants to uh, to, to penetrate into the culture of, of our church is that we would live as the family of God. Uh, well, today, Paul is addressing with Timothy the, the, the issue of those who don't have family. He, he's talking about those who do not have family. And uh, we, we see in the Scriptures that Jesus is always moved with compassion uh, for these types of people. Uh, uh, to serve them, to give a voice to the voiceless, and to speak up for them. And, and this has been some of your stories in this room. Uh, maybe, maybe you are widowed yourself. Uh, maybe uh, you have a parent that is widowed. Maybe uh, you grew up fatherless. Uh, maybe uh, you are, are, were a refugee from another country. Um, we have those stories all around us in Lawrenceville and even in New City Church. And the Scriptures really speak to that today. And that's even a part of my story. Even though my dad has been physically present in my life, he's not been able to be spiritually present because he's not a believer. And so there, in my story, there's even been people that have come along the way and deposited the good seed of the Gospel into my heart, and the Holy Spirit's used it. And He's done that in your lives as well. So what I want to do tonight is, I want to, this morning I want to zoom out a little bit, because we're specifically looking at widows in 1 Timothy 5, but I, when we look at it uh, in the context of all of Scripture, it's a little more broad than just widows. And so let's look at that, and then we'll get back into the specific context of this. Uh, let me give you this preface. This sermon is going to be a little bit more Proverbs than it is Romans. So what do I mean by that? It's going to be a little bit more instructive on how we ought to act as God's people. Uh, so sometimes, we, like last week, we looked at what has God done for us. 
And that's the power for us living out the gospel. So this will be a little bit more Proverbs than Romans. It'll be a little bit more about us uh, figuring out what it looks like to put on the new man in Christ. So don't be alarmed by that. We still believe that Jesus empowers that. But the Scripture really takes us down to brass tacks today. So the first point, what I want to make is this, is that people of Jesus see and serve the most vulnerable people. So in, in Scriptures like James chapter 1, verse 27, Isaiah 1, 17, Exodus 2, 21, Deuteronomy 27, 19, Zechariah 7, Jeremiah 22, Psalm 68, Psalm 82, the Scriptures give us a priority for mercy ministry. So when we, when we think about God's call to be compassionate to the world, and we think about that often as the church, that's what we're called to. The Scriptures give us a priority for what that looks like as the church. And that priority is, is three categories. It's, it's the widow. And in the Scriptures we're looking at today, uh, there's a distinction between uh, what Paul calls those that are truly widows without anyone to help care for them, and then those that, that are widows, they don't have their husband anymore, but they have family to care for them, so there's a distinction there. He goes on to talk about the fatherless or the orphan, and then he goes on to talk about the refugee or the exile. And the Scriptures tell us that those are the priorities of mercy for God's people. Over and over and over again. We could look at all of those Scriptures. They all say the same thing. So I want to read one of them to you from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 to give us a lens for where we're going today. Deuteronomy 10 says this, He, meaning God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God's power is the source of protection for the most vulnerable. It's God's power. It's He that executes it. So you're saying, okay, Ryan, if He executes it, what's my role? Well, the unique identity as God's people means that God's power that executes justice now lives in His people through the power of the Spirit. And so we are ambassadors of Christ. And we are charged, church, with the responsibility to execute justice for the most vulnerable. To let God's Spirit live for us, live through us in such a way uh, that we see and we serve the most vulnerable in our community. This is the priority of God's people. Always has been, always will be until Jesus returns. But the problem is, in our American culture, we have this kind of mantra that we live by. And we, we live by it without even knowing it. And it's this, survival of the fittest. And it's really nothing more than, than, than Darwinism, than evolutionary theory. Survival of the fittest. But how much of our, of our uh, culture is built on that idea? If you know how to take advantage of a situation and, and progress in society, in work, in school, then you are valuable to society. That's what our culture says. But those that aren't able to do that, and there are people all around us that aren't able to do that, are left by the wayside. And Jesus says, I see you. And so should my people. So that's where we're getting in today. Let's look at Jesus' posture toward the most vulnerable. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 11-17. through 17. I'll read the scripture for us. Soon after the town, uh, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. 
And his disciples and a great crowd went with him as he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. What does that make her? Alone. She's lonely. Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, He had to see her first. Then He had compassion on her. He had to see her, and then He has compassion on her. And He says, do not weep. Then He came up and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And He said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And what does Jesus do? Jesus gives the man... This is... This is probably a full-grown man, not a little boy, gives the man back to his mother. See, a lot of times we make the emphasis on the man that was healed. I see the emphasis on the widow here. He sees her, has compassion, heals her son, and then gives him back to her. Jesus sees her. And it says, fear then seized, seized over all of them and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited His people. It's amazing. God visits His people and He sees a widow. It's one of the people that Jesus chooses to see. And if you were to look at the track record of who Jesus sees in the Scripture, a lot of time it's the most overlooked and ostracized people. He's giving a priority to the church that we have to have spiritual eyes to see those who don't make themselves prominent in our midst. And we have a privilege because we know Jesus to give voice to the voiceless, to love them in a way that no one else maybe ever has before. Jesus has always given voice to the lonely. Now in Timothy's day, widows uh, were overlooked, uh, I would say even more so than now, uh, because of the, the cultural ramifications of being a woman in that day. Uh, so what it would look like uh, is that a woman would become widowed and then she not only would lose the love of her life, but she would lose her identity. Because it was all wrapped up in the family and the head of the household was the husband. And so dealing with widows was a real priority for the church because they were the most overlooked people in their midst. I mean, this is why when the church is blowing and going in Acts chapter 6, I mean, people are coming to Christ. Thousands of people are coming. They, put, they pump the brakes on everything in Acts 6 and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. These widows are getting overlooked. Somebody needs to give attention to that. Acts chapter 6, this is where we get deacons from. They say, we need people that are focused on serving the city, the community, the people that God has entrusted to us. Church, there are so many days when, uh, when I think we are afraid to see the pain and loss of the most vulnerable people in our community. We're afraid to see it. And here's why we're afraid. We're afraid to see it because we know there's nothing we can do about it. And so we don't want to get ourselves into a situation where we're face-to-face -face with someone that's super vulnerable, whether it be an, an orphan or a widow or a refugee or whatever it is. We don't want to get ourselves in a situation where we can't back out. And so what we do is we protect ourselves and we just stay away altogether. Don't we? I, I do the same thing. But I think we've got the, we've got the, the problem that we've got in that is that we are assuming a responsibility that's not ours. We're assuming that we have to execute justice, that we have to make sure everything happens. And what the Scriptures say in Deuteronomy 10 is that it's Him that executes justice. 
Our job is to see and to serve. And when we see the most vulnerable and we begin to serve, the Holy Spirit does a great work that we can't explain. And He does things that we can never do on our own. We are conduits of the compassion, mercy, grace, and peace of Jesus. How beautiful are those who bring the good news. How beautiful are our feet. This is what he's called us to. So this is the context of what I want you to see before we get into 1 Timothy 5. And what we're going to do in 1 Timothy 5 is extract some principles that can really apply to us today on how we ought to posture ourselves uh, in serving and seeing the most vulnerable in our community. The big idea of what we're going at today is this. When we see and serve Jesus, we see and serve the most vulnerable. When we see and serve Jesus, we see and serve the most vulnerable. So digging into 1 Timothy 5 here, we see something interesting. Uh, there is a lot of talk about th- these widows that are, that are without care. There's a lot of talk about their families, their immediate families around them. So uh, point number one, this. Each family is called to serve their physical relatives to the best of their ability. Now, we can, we can extract that from here because he mentions it three different times in these verses. Listen to him. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.4, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing to God. Okay, we've got that. Then we go on to verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Are you kidding me? That's strong language, isn't it? You'd be hard-pressed to find stronger language anywhere in the Bible about what God's called us to do. Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So we've talked about the specific context. But what I've realized about our culture is, is that, that in the West, we, 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 tend to, we tend to cut ties a little bit whenever we grow up and get out of the nest. And, and, um, and here's what I'd like to propose to you. I think some of the most godly work that you and I will ever do is to serve our physical family when they're in need. Now, I know how it goes when you get the call and you've got to inconvenience yourself and you've got to take off work and you've got to do this and that. And I've seen it through many of you in, the, in, in, this, in this body, in this room right now, that have had this going on right now. And, and you're conflicted because you know in your spirit you're called to do something. Um, but the culture around you is saying, no, you know, you got to go on and make sure that you can, you know, progress in your job and do that. And, and what I'm seeing in the Scriptures is that it is a real priority for us to take care of our families. And so, maybe our posture ought to be that we should expect to be inconvenienced when our physical families are going through something. We should expect that. And that might be the best ministry and the most fruitful ministry that you ever do in your life. What if that was the case? What if you were taking care of your aging parents, sitting with them, going by their house, making them food, doing whatever you can to the best of your ability? Maybe that's the, the, the most fruitful work you will ever do in the kingdom of God. Think about that. We can't ignore it. It's right in 1 Timothy 5. There's a priority there. I, I was looking at the Scriptures this week and in, I saw something that I've never seen before in Jesus when He was on the cross. In, in John chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross and, and he utters this thing out in verses 26 and 27. He says, he says, woman, behold your son. He's on the cross. He's getting ready to die. Like, like last breaths. He almost says it's finished. And then he looks and he sees his mother, Mary, 
who's likely widowed at this time. And then he, he sees his best friend, John, the disciple whom he loved. And then he looks to John. So he says, woman, behold your son. And then he looks to John and he says, behold your mother. And then the Scriptures say that Mary went to go live. She went to go live with John after that. Je this is so important, guys, the, the way that we treat the most vulnerable, that Jesus, it was the last thing He did on the cross. Even on the cross, He's thinking about how can I take care of my widowed mother? There's got to be something I can do. And so He reaches out and calls out to the disciple whom He loves and says, can you take her in your house? And it just kind of all works out. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus' priorities. I recently heard a pastor talk about, um, talk about how he uh, encounters uh, like aging people and how he encourages his people to counsel them. He's, and he, and he kind of painted a picture that I never thought about before. He says, you know, when you're young, your parents take care of you. And there's, you, you, you are helpless and you are in their arms and you are dependent upon them for every single thing. But then when, when, you as, when your parents get older, it's, it's almost like the tables are turned and they desire the same exact thing. When they're helpless and they can do nothing on their own, they desire their kids to be close to them because it draws out the dignity of the work that God did in them when they raised you. Think about that. It's this beautiful picture that God does. And so what would it look like, New City Church, for us to be inconvenienced by our families and to prepare for that. I mean, some of you have bought homes to help care for your aging parents. It's a beautiful thing. Not, I'm not saying that everyone has to do that. I'm just saying that we should all probably expect that that should be a priority for us because I see it so much here in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. The church is to particularly show mercy to those who have no family. We ought to be active in that. We ought to pursue that. Because if people don't have a voice, how are they going to find us? And how are we going to hear them if they do? Friends, we have to go seek out the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, because they have no voice. In verses 9 and 10, there's this language that says this in 1 Timothy 5, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a good reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown them hospitality and washed the feet, of the saints. So we see that there was this standard for widows that the church would care for. And it was, it was, it was, a, uh, it was a spiritual and relational re uh, care that they gave, but it was also physical. They were actually taking care of the needs of these widows. And I don't get the impression that this was Timothy's personal ministry. It was like, hey, Timothy, make sure you got a fund in your personal expense to take care of this. I have a feeling that it was the responsibility of the entire church to come alongside the most vulnerable. It's a, it's a non-Western idea. I get it. But I think God calls us to it. What's it look like to see these people? And, and there's this kind of standard for these widows that are going to be enrolled. And, and, and we'll talk about it in a second, but it was almost like they had something to offer to the church that no one else did. That the church was going to benefit from these widows and their, their life of prayer and their pursuit of godliness in a way that they couldn't without them. And I think that's real true that we really need the most vulnerable in our midst because they get something about Jesus that the rest of us don't. They get something about Jesus that the rest of us have a real hard time seeing because Jesus is all they have. And we need them in our midst. <clears throat> the church has been known for their care uh, for, for the most vulnerable uh, 
for some time. I mean, even uh, Julian the, the apostate, who was a Roman emperor, noticed what the Christians were doing. Listen to what he says. He says, uh, these impious Galileans feed not only their own poor, but ours as well. This is in the first century. Or around there. This is a long time ago. I don't know the exact date. It was a long time ago. And the Roman emperor. So, so it's, it's this idea that, that it was the unbelievers even noticed how the Christians cared for the most vulnerable. And it was a witness to the unbelieving world. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 really shows the heartbeat of God for us. It says this, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. And that word judge means protector. For the widows is God in His holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. It's all wrapped into what we're going after as a church to be the family of God. Where's our room for the most vulnerable? God makes a home for the lonely. John Bunyan says it like this in The Pilgrim's Progress, the best-selling book of all time outside of the Bible, or one of the best. He says this, you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who will never be able to repay you. And why does he say that? Why does he say that, that it's so important to serve those who can't repay you? Because there's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden agenda involved when you serve someone that can do absolutely nothing for you. And the Gospel goes forth through these types of relationships uh, more so than any other way. We see it happen over and over and over again with Jesus. We are blessed from it. Jesus says in Matthew 25, I'll just read three verses for you. You're getting the point of where we're going though. Then the righteous will answer in Him, Lord, when did we see You hungry and feed You or thirsty and give You drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the King will answer them. Truly I say to you, and this is I think one of the most convicting verses in the Bible. As you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Friends, when we serve the most vulnerable in our community, we are serving, we are washing the feet of Jesus. And no one's going to commend you for it but your reward will be great in heaven. And here's the thing. I'm just going to get real practical. I know you hear this and like we're all convicted, right? Because it's so clear in the Bible. And we all know that we could do more uh, or something. And we don't really know where to start. I get that. I'm, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on any of us. But God's calling us into this. And the greatest ministry that we'll have in, 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 in Lawrenceville, I think, is through serving the most vulnerable people in our midst. So, so real practically, how could we get involved in this? How could we do this now? I would say, first and foremost, get to know the widows that are even in our midst. There's several, there's a handful of widows in our church right here every single week. Get to know them. Make it a priority that you know their faces, you know their names. And even more than even more than the 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 there even more than the physical widows that we have, there have been people, there have been women that have been through situations whether they've been deserted or something like that, that pretty much have the same lifestyle as a widow because of injustice that's been done to them. It's sin that's been perpetuated against them. Get to know those people that really need you. 
see them, serve them, love them, know their names, their faces. I can't make you do that. I can't, I can't, I can't put that desire in you. The Spirit does that through His Word. For, for the orphans, uh, for the fatherless, um, I'm going to throw a stat out to you that, uh, that I got from my friend Ty this week. And it makes me weep. Um, <clears throat> in Gwinnett County alone, there are 660 foster kids right now. 660 foster kids. Do you know how many foster homes there are in Gwinnett County right now? 55. 55. 55. That would be like 12... 13 kids per home to take care of all those kids. And so we've got kids that are sleeping in extended stay hotels with Department of Family and Child Services workers. And we've got all these just situations. And, and, and I know that it's like a radical move to even consider that. But New City is just, we've just decided like there's like two or three families that are doing foster care uh, and looking toward adoption now uh, in, in, in our community. Um, but we want to see a culture where that's like uh, not the exception, but a little bit more of the norm where we are very aware of those stats and think that Jesus calls us to do something about it. So I'm not saying, I know that everyone's not equipped to bring foster kids into your, to your home or maybe called to that, but everybody can do something. You can get certified to be a, a babysitter so that you can serve those families so they can go out on a date night because you have to be trained to, to watch those kids. You can do something. You can pray and labor in prayer with us as we care for the fatherless. You can, you can join the mentoring team here at Richards Middle School. I mean, I've got, I've got five boys that I mentor, and four of them don't have dads. Four of them. Two of them don't have mom or dad in the picture. It's all around us. But you know what I had to do? I had to take the step to come to Richards to see it. And God is honored that He's blessed me so much, and, and, and I've, I've been connected to people I'd never be connected to. And you know what? It's a huge inconvenience to come at 9.30 every week. And every time it disrupts my day and I get in my truck and I, and I leave and I think, man, I'm so glad I came. Thank you for blessing me, God. Every single time. We can all do something, church. For the sojourner, for the refugee, uh, Atlanta has more refugees in, this, in, in our city than most cities in the U.S. do. And I know there's been a lot of debate and conversation around refugees, uh, but the Scriptures are clear that, that that God calls His people to be on the lookout for those people. I mean, when you look in the Scriptures um, about the concept of a refugee, the, the first Christians were known to be so hospitable. There was almost no such thing as a hotel in their day because they would open their doors. And I know that's like super dangerous and we got all this question marks around it, but we can do something. A missional community can take on a new refugee family and serve them for six months as they get assimilated into culture. We have those opportunities all around us. It's going to inconvenience us. But every ministry that God calls us to is going to inconvenience us. And, and, and if we're honest, like, I mean, the cross was pretty inconvenient, right? It was pretty inconvenient, like not to drop the Jesus juke on you, but it really was. And this new man that God is forming in us in Christ pursues these types of things. To land this plane... Let's go to number three. The most vulnerable have a significant and irreplaceable role to play in the life of the church. So I think we tend to look at the most vulnerable in our community and in our, in our city and in our church, and we say, you know, 
bless their heart. You know, it's, it's too bad they don't have, like, like I, I feel bad about it, but it's too bad that their life isn't like mine. Like, I, I wish they could just be like me. And so when we go on mission trips, we even kind of carry this mantra with us. We go to a third world country, and, we, and we, we, the only thing we know how to do is, is to make impoverished you know, families that are living in a village, we try to make them like Americans. And, and what I see about this is that they have, the most vulnerable have so much to offer the church. So much to offer. A perspective on who God is and what matters in life that we get real cloudy and real uh, confused about pretty often. They have so much to offer. Listen to, to verses 9 and 10. It says that there was this, you know, I read it a second ago, but, but it says that they had so much to offer the church. He said, you know, if a widow is a, is a, is a one-man woman, she's got a history of fruitful good works. She's shown hospitality. She's washed the feet of the saints. We need this type of woman. It's, a, it's almost like a third office of the church. Like the widows had this special responsibility in the church. That, that they could focus on that, that other people you know, really didn't see and really didn't pray uh, for these things to happen. They had this very particular thing that God had called them to. The relief that these widows received from the church empowered them to serve as they were called. And there's a group of ladies in this church that, that, uh, that serve my family and pray for my family that are widows unlike anything I've ever seen before. And most of you don't even you don't know their names. They're they're real quiet about their service. But I'm telling you guys, New City Church ought to have an eye out for those folks and to empower people to serve in those ways. I'm going to read James 1:27 for us, and uh, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then and then we'll continue in worship. James 1:27 says this: Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one unstained from the world. Let's pray and ask God to do that in our midst. Father, um, I know as we, we hear the Scriptures today, there is just there's a, there's a temptation to maybe give in to the enemy to make us feel guilty. Um, but really what Your Spirit wants to do is to convict us and to bring us to repentance, and to give us eyes to see the most vulnerable as You saw them. So Jesus, I, I pray that You would make New City Church a place that sees the most vulnerable. A, a, a people that helps to give value to those in our culture that seem to have no value. Would You use us to draw out the dignity of those that are all around us? For those teachers that are in this room, that serve these kids every single week that are in our midst? Would you empower them? Would you, would you give them courage to go on? For the, for the widows in this room and in this community that have experienced tremendous loss, and there's never a day that goes by that they don't think about the loss. And most of the body they have no clue about that. God, would you give us grace to care Would You give us grace to care? And would You give us margin in our lives to be inconvenienced for the sake of Your Kingdom? And God, would Your Spirit empower us to follow You and obey Your Word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.